You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning and welcome to another episode of The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. Today we are talking about Ellenbrook, Bold Ivis, Alchemos, our land estate, land development suburbs that are still in the throes of expansion. We want to talk about the reality out in these suburbs, the pros, the cons, and the future, I guess, for people living there and people that have invested there or are thinking about investing there. There's a lot of considerations here that I think a really well-concerted conversation needs to be fleshed out for. And to have this conversation, the right person to talk to is Brendan Ptolemy. Brendan, thanks for coming in again. Hey, Trent. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, we're here talking. Got me back. Yeah, Unbelievable. exactly. We're, we're <laughs> a bit more specific today, though, and we're talking about something that I think at this point of the cycle isn't the easiest thing to talk about. So we'll be as sensitive as we can, I guess, uh, but we need to be real. We need to talk about the facts, and hopefully we can talk about lights at the end of the tunnel or how those lights would come about as well. So yeah. let's just crack off with a current situation. Let's get some stats on the board and apply those stats to some practical outcomes as to what's going on right now in in those three centres, I think. Yeah, and so as valuers at Heron to White, one of our challenges in life is to look at the facts and report black and white back to the bank. That's our customer most of the time and we essentially have to go out and analyse sales evidence in suburbs and report on someone's principal place of residence and what that's worth. So that's not the easiest job in the world. There's emotion obviously attached to everybody's own house and what it's worth. That's often creating wealth. And in these suburbs, unfortunately, we're going through a cycle where there's oversupply there created by new land supply and therefore created by new dwelling supply on that land. And essentially, it's created an oversupply situation. And wherever there's oversupply, if the demand's not following it, you're going to end up with price correction. Let's be honest, it's a massive oversupply, isn't it? Yeah, so one of the ones that's a little bit too easy to pick out and really preface this by saying it's actually a really good suburb. When you look around Perth and a place to live, Beldivis has actually got a lot of great things going on for it. So there's a diversity of houses there. So this doesn't apply right across Beldivis. It's a really big suburb. Uh, It's got some good infrastructure in terms of local shopping centre, local schools, connection to the freeway, and then the connection into Rockingham and Safety Bay for beaches. It's a well-planned suburb, isn't it? It is a really well-planned suburb with some of, uh, you know, some award-winning estates in there as well. Uh, You know, Settlers Hills was one of the the greatest releases done on Stuart Ridge there as well. Really good estates. Unfortunately, over a period of time, we've ended up with a really big oversupply in, in that location. So, uh, year on year, Heron said White, we've done some stats in terms of listings in there. This time last year in Beldivis, there were 644 houses on the market. The good story is that same time this year, we're at 555 houses on the market. So it's been, it peaked up a little bit and then it's dropped away steadily after the last year or so. Now, that might be the stock being soaked up by purchases, but it might also be some property coming off the market too. And it also might be the land developers not getting their finance anymore or pulling their land off the market because no one's buying it. Yeah, yeah. And so you get back to, because there is such a large supply of land in Beldivis, you do have to sit back and ask your question whether you should be building. The interesting bit is land and the construction cost is probably never going to be cheaper. Very competitive out there for builders at the moment and they're more than willing to do a deal. So if you're in that marketplace and want to choose your own adventure on your own house, 
go for it because it's a great time to go and see the builder and try and get your house built as cheap as possible. The flip side though is obviously established dwellings or used homes are sitting there on the market and have corrected in value. So you may get better value for money, you may get a better bargain if you go and buy an established dwelling in Valdivis if you can find what you're looking for. Those prices for me on established houses, people that are getting out, a lot of them are getting out because they have to. There's a lot of mortgage stress in Baldivis and I find looking at the numbers that the cost it would take to buy the land and then build something equivalent is actually more expensive than the secondhand products and we're not talking very secondhand, we're talking two, three years old on the market at the moment. Yeah, and so then we get to the core of what we do as valuers at Heron Todd White and any other valuation firm. What we're doing in terms of setting the value for the new home is to go and look at established dwelling sales. And so what consistently happens here is the established dwelling sale is not supporting the cost of actually building the new house. So that's where in the marketplace, new home builders need to maybe just consider whether they're doing the right thing with their funding. One of the drivers in that marketplace is obviously the first home buyers grant you get ten thousand dollars from the government it's a hell of a lot of money when you don't have any money so considering how you're going to use that and whether that's the best way to use that money to get into a new house obviously you can't get any government assistance on buying established homes so that that is a problem for that portion of the market it's a bit of a reality right now isn't it that you could get your key start loan with your ten thousand dollar bonus and work on a 98 percent loan on a house and land package worth three hundred fifty thousand dollars and the valuer comes in and they struggle to see value at 320 where your loan's going to be 340 Yeah, yeah. And so what we've been seeing in the marketplace, and this is where people should consider whether they need to get in there, is that the land developer and the builder are more than happy to talk to their customer about trying to make the numbers work in terms of giving them discounts or trimming up the cost or the design of the house to try and make those numbers stack up to get the customer into a home. So they're doing all they can, the builders and the land developers, to support their marketplace, which is great. But uh, the customer always needs to consider what's the best thing for them to be doing. So let's look at that other side of the coin. You said there's 540 properties currently. 555. 555 on the market. How many are under offer? Uh, so only 6%, so 31 at the moment. Still, that's not such a bad rate in terms of having considered the fact that the numbers have come down over a period of time. It's good to be able to see that the transactions are happening. But interestingly, that's got the lowest number of under-offer transactions out of some of the other suburbs that we've analysed at Heron to White. So if you go out to the other suburb you mentioned, Ellenbrook, there's actually a, a 13% activity as we'd call it Uh, again it's only 30 odd places under offer but the listings in there is really interesting they're down to 234 when this time last year they were just above that they're 240 odd just above 240 so consistent supply in there in terms of listings but the activity going okay in terms of being up around that 13% 13% or so. But let's be honest, 6%, 13%, how does that it's compare? Not a huge yeah. How does that compare to your north beaches or your established suburbs that we generally have been living in for decades? Yeah, so the other stats we've done to try and compare is we took a, a kind of uh, average suburb north and average suburb south. So north we looked at Duncraig over a period of time. This time last year Duncraig had 90 uh, odd properties on the market. At the present level, they've got 105 on the market. And we're also seeing vendors coming back into the market and saying, hang on, this is bottomed out in value. It's time for me to be able to sell because I can get the return that I thought I was going to get on my my house. Now, um, activity levels in there are at 30%. So again, it's 30-odd properties under offer, 30-odd percent activity. Atwell is the place that we looked at down south of the river. Back this time last year, this is really interesting. There's 50 properties on the market. 
This year, 82 properties on the market. And again, 23% activity there, 19 odd under, under offer at the moment. So really interesting to see the flood of vendors bringing their property to the market. I look Duncraig as a bit of a yardstick for Perth at the moment. I see it as comfortable right now that market vendors are getting pretty much what they're asking for in a lot of cases, aren't they? And when you compare that to our topic today, you, you know, your Bell Divers and your Ellen Books, it's 6 and 13%. That's where you want to be, really. That's thirty percent is is a is a stable market. Absolutely. So, yeah. at this point in time, Bold Arvis, Ellenbrook, not good idea to invest. But that's not to say that you don't have your own lifestyle choices as an owner occupier. If your kids go to that school, or if you've got family there, we're not saying don't buy there. We're not saying it's a bad place to buy. I'm simply pointing out the fact that at the moment investment in those areas the numbers don't seem to stack up yeah and so then you get back to that question of the fundamental reasons why do people buy in a location and if you look at ellenbrook or baldivis lots of driver for people will be family so if family is already in that location or a nearby location if you grew up in the swan valley and your folks still live out on property out that way then ellenbrook becomes a really logical choice for you because it's got that infrastructure there in terms of shops schools parkland and obviously being in close proximity to your family and friends take that same scenario and go down to baldivis if your mum and dad already live in that suburb they might have been the original settlers hills estate investors Mm. or or, rockingham yep exactly Uh, and so you end up saying well where can i afford to live nearby there's good schools here, really good shopping centre. Infrastructure in terms of access to Perth CBD from Baldivis is really, really good. Compared uh, to Ellenbrook at the moment. Absolutely, yep. And yeah, obviously future infrastructure projects coming there. But it becomes that question of saying, okay, where can I afford to live? And that's why people choose to be in those locations. To be honest though, we don't have to buy it, do we? If It's shelter. And I still personally look at every owner-occupied purchase, it should be an investment. And for me, if it's not a good investment, just rent you know what if you want to live in ellenbrook and uh, because the lifestyle is good but the numbers aren't stacking up why not rent yeah and it, that comes back to that question of do you need to get into the market right now we have a culture in perth of people having uh, wanting to get into the market as soon as they can and therefore building their house and taking their first home buyers grant but sometimes it might be better off just to stand back from the market i would counsel people to say Go and save as much money as you can to give yourself much better options in terms of when you get in. And the thing that we haven't done that well in Perth over a long period of time is buy for lifestyle. So we've bought for family in the past. I want to be close to where I grew up and mum and dad. But maybe it's a a chance uh, as we move forward into a corrected market and a more affordable market for people to buy for lifestyle. And by that, I mean they might buy a one-bedroom apartment close to the city and have one car in their family, might buy a one-bedroom apartment close to a train station or a shopping centre and have one car in their family in a couple and evolve that for the first portion of their life in terms of uh, this is where we're going to live and pay it down as quickly as we can over the first part of their property's journey and then they might move on in the future potentially even keep that unit as collateral to go and buy the family home because it was a good idea in the first place exactly and then turn it into the investment property or obviously divest themselves of that apartment and go and buy the the family home now brennan i want to talk about why this situation has occurred in ellenbrook and bold Arvis and alchemos in the first place and not just those three suburbs there's a few suburbs around that but they're the centers that people understand i want to talk about the theory of it and for me, it comes down to that simple equation of 
price growth equals demand growth over supply growth. Now, demand will be what it's been. And to be honest, as a volume number, demand's pretty high in Ellenbrook and Baldivis and whatnot. You always see them at the top of the rear with stats. It's not, the demand's not the problem. Yep. Demand's coming through higher than most suburbs. It's a massive level of supply. And for me, it's nearly an irresponsible level of supply that's been allowed by either planning or developers or whatnot. And what it's done is it's created this huge level of supply that's just put a big drag on that balance for a long period of time. And the issue with those new suburbs is until that supplier stops, until we decide that that suburb is finished, it's hard to know where that finite level of supply finishes. It's hard to know where that balance of X demand comes in against Y supply. Because right now, supply is infinite because it hasn't stopped. It's continually growing. Yeah, and this probably goes back to the dilemma of the actual developer. They spend 20-odd years doing that subdivision. Uh, you look at Beldivis, it has easily been going for 20 odd years and you don't get to choose really when that project finishes because it is going to finish when you run out of land essentially. And well, there's, you're not going to run out out there, are you? <laughs> no, there's plenty of land there. And what we have to understand is that these projects were created because Perth had a demand for housing. And if we go back to that last mining boom where we had a one-year wait at stages for titles for lots. Uh, so we end up in this really, uh, this massive dilemma of how do we get the supply into the marketplace? It is such a big project and such a massive financial investment for the developers to get it up and running. But once it's up and running, it's a behemoth of, the, of a structure moving down a hill slowly. And once they're on that bus moving down the hill, they, they can't stop. They can't just turn off the tractors and walk away. They've got a product that they need to sell into the marketplace for a long period to come. And that might take the next couple of years, it may take another 10 years, but they've started a massive infrastructure project by creating that subdivision and they need to complete it. For me, that's an unfortunate situation in that it's not as flexible and as reactive as I think it needs to be in terms of keeping a balanced market against demand, but it is what it is. And for, it's not for us to dictate, it's for us to comment on and to simply make aware people out there looking to invest or buy as to what they're getting into financially, balanced off by what we've said before, are actually really well-planned suburbs. So if you think you can get a really good bargain, and for me, it would be on an existing home, getting something under cost price, under under that construction price, then it's not to say it's going to be a bad investment. But if you're looking, if you're holding, if you've been into bold others for a while, and you're expecting your houses to be worth what they were two, three, four years ago, or even for it to come back in the next couple of years, in my opinion, it might be different to yours, Brendan, but in my opinion, it's a much tougher situation than what we're seeing against maybe an, an analog being done, Craig. Yeah, absolutely. And we'd always encourage people to, to spend as wisely as they can and do their research. And that's what we do at Herons of White. A valuers out there doing their research frequently every single day, analyzing uh, the sales trying to work out where the market's moving and uh, a correction in values or the uptick in values in those oversupplied suburbs is probably some way off. If people want to invest, however, this is a time where a lot of people are looking at being contrarian. Uh, we're at the bottom of the market. They want to spend that money for the equal amount of money off the top of your head in very local areas. Where would be better ideas that are established for that three fifty, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 mark? Where can we be looking that there are fundamentals there in terms of schools, transport, shopping centers where we could afford for that same money to invest and actually maybe make some money. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it's a pretty broad brush in Very terms broad. of looking at all across Perth, but we would lo- encourage people to have a look at a few fundamentals and those local infrastructure ideas are, are number one. So where kids need to go to school, where are the local shops, 
can I get to my place of work? All of those things are going to, and, and where's the family? Uh, they're all going to underpin the general locality that someone's uh, seeking to buy in. What I'd encourage people to do is have a look at established dwellings in some of the older suburbs and probably not just to discount the old three by one, the old three by two, just because they're older homes. The renovation market is really active these days and tradies are available in terms of being able to do kitchens and bathrooms and those kinds of things. So established suburbs is a great idea. There's a lot of um, land out there as well. Yeah, and then the infill projects uh, are another way to look at things. So do I go and buy an older place uh, that might be a duplex block? Live in the front place for a little while, do it up, cut off the backyard and build a new house there. That's That might be a, a pathway for people to get their new house in a slightly better location. And then conversely, uh, where people can afford to create that, then go and look at that product that might have been created by a developer. Okay, I'm, I'm happy to compromise on my backyard size. I'm happy to take a battle axe block as opposed to a street front block. Those are the kinds of ideas in terms of product out there in the marketplace. Yeah, I think the number one thing to do is essentially watch where public and private infrastructure is coming in on established suburbs. That's where you're going to see gentrification and increases in amenity. Yep. Houses are generally worth what they're worth because the general population values it for the walk score or the amenity score it has. When public or private investment comes in and changes that amenity score, suddenly there's a reason for the population to value it for higher than it is now. And that's why people value land higher than they did yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so the challenge might be to have a look at where that infrastructure is coming and be ahead of the game. Metronet, airport links, shopping centers, good schools for me. Those are the kings and those are the things that are changing right now in Perth. Yep. Brendan, thanks for coming in. Hopefully have you in again soon. Trent, thanks for having me. Okay, Suburb Spotlight time. We are talking Scarborough today. We've obviously got our number one agent in for Scarborough. That's Jared O'Rourke from O'Rourke Realty Investments. Jared, thanks for popping in. Yeah, thanks. Nice to be here. We spoke double view last week. This week, we're talking Scarborough, so we're just getting closer to the beach. There's so much change going on, not just in Scarborough, but in the cultural vicinity as well, Inaloo, Karanup, North Beach, all these places, they're all sort of related to Scarborough and that lifestyle. Yeah, definitely everybody wants to be close to Scarborough. Some don't necessarily want to be amongst the action. And that's why you've got the choice of Trig North Beach for the big family home. You've got the choice of Karanup, Dolview, Inaloo for the mixture. But Scarborough for the bang for the buck to be right on the beach, there's no other cheaper suburb. It's an interesting cultural demographic as well. I have a lot of Brazilian friends and everyone calls it Scarbrazil. Every second person that lives in Scarborough these days seems to be a, a fantastically fun-loving, water-loving Brazilian. So 30 years ago, it was the Poms. Yeah. 20 years ago, it was the Kiwis. Yeah. 10 years ago, it was uh, South Africans and a bit of a mixture. Now it's a Brazilian invasion, for sure. I mean, you've got the Brazilian barbecue place, you've got Brazilian dancing, you've got the international schools down there as well, which is mostly Brazilian. So Can't complain, nothing, though, can no, you? What definitely a nothing wrong with adding that to the yeah. mix, for sure. <laughs> Tell us, let's bring it right back to when Scarborough was two rocks. What was it? Tell so us Scarborough, about it. Scarborough was the coastal suburb on, on the beach with Luna Park down there. My parents as kids used to get the bus from Wembley through to Scarborough to go on school camps. After the war, obviously around that 1945, 1950 mark, they were building war service state housing houses out there because it was cheap land for them. How big were the blocks um, back then? It was mostly 693, 728, 645s. 
So all that got to start afresh or new. There was no older suburb to work around. And obviously, eventually, you know, then they did City Beach, Wemby Downs, which triggered North Beach, which all built around it with far more substantial houses. So you had the poor cousin Scarborough in the middle, surrounded by all these Taj Mahals that suddenly now people have been buying up and redeveloping. And that's, you know, when you think about the um, distance of the city, it makes sense to have a bit more infill in an area like that. And when we're seeing those old shacks go and three or four new houses go up, certainly increasing the density, but also the access to beach and city, which most people couldn't afford if it wasn't for a place like Scarborough. Whenever I'm standing at Cottesloe or even at Rottnest and I look down the coast, the one way I know that where I'm looking at Scarborough is looking at Rendezvous. Yeah. But it didn't always used to be Rendezvous, they did it. No, no. I mean, nothing was really there bar Peters by the Sea and a couple of other old houses. Across the road where Observation Rises is where the Scarborough Hotel was. The Snake Pit was where Observation City was, or is now, and obviously Bondi decided to develop that in the 80s for the America's Cup. Uh, it was about 86 that there was a bombing of one of the cranes down there because one of the locals was so uh, upset over a development happening on the coast like that there was actually a bombing of the crane, <laughs> wow. which you just can't fathom today. Ready for the 88 Cup defence and huge openings. And really, Observation City was the start of the change of Scarborough. Pre-80s, you know, our tenants were hippies, bikies, you know, surfers, changing demographics to now. Uh, affluent, big income earners, a bit of mining, lots of business people. I mean, everyone in Scarborough is doing well, but it's not in your face like a lot of other areas. Everyone's there because of the beach. Everyone's there because of the coast. But when you consider now, you know, there's 20-odd coffee shops, there's about 12 restaurants, there's nine bars all along the beachfront. Those things have got to have a decent amount of money coming into them all the time to survive, and they seem to be doing okay. So, yeah, it's a huge area. When you get all these new people come in with the Twin Towers popping up in the next few years, that's going to increase the foot traffic even more. So the Twin Towers is an interesting one. Uh, prior to that recent sale, which they paid $28 million for, we'd sold it to a local client for $38 million, but the Shire didn't come through in time on the rezoning. Four years later, instead of 38 they sold it for $28 million to these guys. These guys bought an 18-storey site. They now got approved a 43 and a 39-storey site. So why would you bother building it? which is exactly what they're doing, I would say right now they've got it out there and they're waiting to see if somebody else wants to buy it off them uh, instead yeah. of building it themselves. They've just upgraded the DA zoning totally. and yeah. someone else can put the money so down. So the Liberal government pre that approval had said if we'll put an exclusion on there that you can't sell the approval. Labor didn't do that. Labor also didn't do the walk over West Coast Highway, which was supposed to be part of the approval. So now they've got a site approved with no walkway over West Coast Highway that they can sell. Does that change the face of Scarborough, do you think, looking into yeah. five years from now, 10 years? So Observation Rise, which is north of Observation City, has 154 units in it. That guy planned over 10 years to sell that from about 1990 to 2000. This building has five times that amount of apartment. So there has to be a lot of hotel short stay in it. There has to be some residential apartments. There has to be a lot of commercial. You've got Karanup Shopping Centre just up the road, which is one of the highest per square metre rate shopping centres in the Southern Hemisphere. They're just spending $800 million renovating that. You've got Inaloo Shopping Centre up the road, which is spending $600 million. Again, one of the most sought-after shopping centres in the area. Yet our beachfront suburb doesn't have a lot of commercial or retail at all. No. So unlike Noosa, unlike Bondi, unlike Manly, which is mostly where you have everything, 
it really should be the Subiaco on the beach now that all the shops have gone from Subi and gone to Claremont Quarter. The yeah. next one would be Scarborough Beachfront. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I think we've all seen Scarborough transform over time and it is now becoming more of a unit density than a house density from where it started, obviously. A lot of triplexes and quads and flats from, from the old days now moving into boutique apartments and townhouses. So there's so much opportunity mm. and different different price points. Let's segue straight into that. Let's talk about it. How cheap can it get? What's the cheapest sort of one-by-one one flat from the old days that I can buy in Scarborough? And then what options can I buy all the way up to yeah. the most expensive thing I mean, you've sold? you hit the nail on the head. We never have a lot of anything because there's so many different houses, styles, apartments, flats, units... Townhouses, villas, you know, street front character houses, lofts, penthouse apartments. It's just on and on and on. That's what's great for me. I'm never selling the same thing twice. You wouldn't get bored, would you? No. I've got mates you know, up north, even down south, they're selling the same 4 by 2 built by the same person for the same age and has to have some sort of differential. I never have a lot of one betters, never have a lot of two betters, never a lot of three. So the old rule is by where it is, not what it is. So in other words, you can buy a one-bedroom unit in Scarborough and still do well. And you buy a one-bedroom unit for as little as 225 at the moment. And that's really 2005 prices. There's only a couple of them around. Once they've gone, the next one you'd have to jump up to is about 275 It's the same in every price range. There's a couple of extreme bargains, and mostly because of retiring investors. Investors that have been waiting for the last decade to make a big dollar to suddenly say, hey, look, why don't we take our money and run now? We've waited long enough. It's not going to happen, which is given opportunity. The next best after that is two bedroom units that are starting from 249. Now they're also positively geared. So at 249 you're getting 250 a week rent. At 225 you're getting 220 a week rent. So three bedroom villas starting from uh, as little as 399. Uh, then you've got new apartments as well, mostly starting from 399 and from 449. Some of the higher end ones, two bedroom, two bathroom, starting from 499. You've got some townhouses at the moment, which is a funny enough scenario that's changed a lot on the 693 square metre original sites that are zoned R40. You can build three, but you can only really fit three townhouses. That's right. You could not really fit no. a one storey. They've tried and tried and there's a couple around, but it just doesn't seem to massively work. You've got to try a level with the townhouses if you do a single at the front. So instead, we've gone from 50-50 villas to townhouses or apartments to townhouses to now 80-90% townhouses. So three bedroom, two bathroom, double garage townhouse starting from 595. And 595 happens to be the suburb average. So for 595,000, you can get a three bedroom, two bathroom, double story townhouse, one of two in one of the best streets of Scarborough. Now that would have sold five years ago for 750,800, let alone 10 years ago. Yeah, and I think that that townhouse option really has come about simply because the demographic has moved towards affording it, right? Yeah. If, if it hadn't become more of a prestigious suburb to live, we probably wouldn't be talking about that many townhouses. No, there's no reason to build double storey, especially in the cost of construction. It's twice as much as a single storey. Yeah, most of those are costing three fifty to 400 to build, let alone then what the land's worth. So, I mean, the biggest deal about it is, you know, when we considered Scarborough, we thought about it as a suburban suburb. You know, it wasn't part of the western suburbs, now it is. You know, we didn't consider how close is the city. I mean, I had to go to the city the other day. It took me seven minutes to get from my office to St. George's Terrace. You know, where in Australia can you do that? 
and especially at a medium price of five ninety five. Yeah, and be at the beach and be on the beach, yep. like and have all those new restaurants and bars and shops and everything like that. And that's the thing. You look at the same product in Cottesloe, you're paying four or five times the price. But same you look at beach, the same isn't it? thing, <laughs> yeah, if not even a better beach, you know. And look at the same thing in Sydney or Melbourne. It's ten times. Yeah, it's crazy. So we're so spoiled, and I don't think us locals know how good we've got it. People come from Brazil and around the world. Why are they here? They realise. They realise how fantastic it is, how clean it is, how safe it is, how untouched it is, and even what we call development. You know, oh, we've had development. no development. Yeah, you know? I, I, coming so, having been to Brazil a couple of times, and you know the beaches are just as fantastic. Whether you're you're in Rio or in, you're in Scarborough. Uh, but the density is different. Oh, you know, we look at, at Rendezvous, at Observation City as a standout on our coastline. That is a small yeah. development compared to Rio. Absolutely. Very small. Yeah, but look, service paradise. Look at Oahu, look at, you know, around the world. Uh, even, like I said, to a smaller degree, Noosa, Glenelg, Manly, Bondi. We don't have many towers whatsoever we don't have much short stay scarborough short stay bookings is almost booked out for 95 percent of the year now not so seasonal as it was 20 years ago 10 years ago so we need more hotels for those tourists and we also still need more shops offices and other commercial facilities because of the amount of people wanting to get into that area every day we're getting inquiries from people wanting a small office there isn't such a thing so I think we're walking straight into the development part of the segment anyway. Do you think that the town is on the right, the city, I should say, is on the right track when it comes to its zoning and whatnot? Do you think more can be done or do you think that the public's just not taking it up and it's, it's, it's so, okay? So the original redevelopment of Scarborough was to sort out car parking issues. Oh, well, that is the worst of all issues in Western Australia, I think, is Scarborough's car so parking So City of Stirling's solution to that was to get rid of every third car bay and put two pine trees. So, no, the council still in this area still doesn't have a clue either, like they probably do in most areas of Australia. Uh, the council so out of touch with what was needed. They suggest that the future is people won't use cars, won't have cars, won't need cars. I think that future's a long, long way away. A very long way, especially when the closest train station is Glendalough. Yep, which is Glendalough slash Scarborough Beach Station now, supposedly they announce, which means everybody gets off there. So, look, even if you're four or five blocks back from the beach, are you going to jump in the car on a hot day or are you going to walk in the sun? You know, are you going to jump in the car and try to drive down the front and go for a swim? Also in lieu of the observation rise development, part of Bond's original approval was there had to be free car parking on the corner of Manning Reserve and West Coast Highway. That now free car parking 20 years later or 25 years later has now been taken over by Wilson, who are charging for that parking. That's right. So not only have they got rid of every third car bay and put a couple of pine trees in, they've stuck a hill, which has people being able to sit and look at the sunset for free when the people behind paying for a meal can't see the sunset. But besides all that, it is a fantastic looking development. We've got an attraction that so many more people are interested in visiting, especially with your Thursday night uh, markets, markets, which is yep. a fantastic initiative. Yep. I'm there yep. once a month having a great time with yep. the missus and, yep. and I think that's great. But the biggest problem we always face, whether it's on a Thursday night or a Saturday afternoon uh, or a Sunday afternoon is where are we going to park today? Mm. So people walking from Trigg, people walking from City Beach, people walking from Doubleview. You know, just to go down for the markets, which there, yeah, there's 50, 60 
you know, uh, different little stalls down there with, and definitely the shirt fitted better before those markets. Um, <laughs> but there's so much food. There's so good, such good food and such great atmosphere. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And that's more and more what you want to see down there. Do you think on the house zoning side, uh, the residential zoning side, where they've got these specific zones and areas, do you think, do you think they got it right? Do you think that there's more So what more they did scope? was they did a big T for the rezoning area with a bit of R80 and R160 with a bit of commercial. That's right. They Are people had taking their, that up? Not now. You're still getting the person that can just buy a nice two-bedroom villa in that rezoning area and have their foot in the door to for when a developer wants to come and buy the whole site. So one of the best examples, you know, 41 Scarbridge Road, 1,500-square-metre site, two-bedroom villa in a group of five. So there's only five on the block. You can buy one. On that site, it's R80. They can build about 20 on it with commercial underneath. So that's going to scream out down the track when the developers are sniffing around to say, hey, there's only five owners to buy it here. They're sitting on a huge block, and it's an awesome two-bedroom villa really close to the beach from 399 mm. Now, as a two-bedroom villa would have sold for 550 10 years ago, let alone in the rezoning. Okay, so, so and I think that's something that there is an issue with in a few areas in Scarborough, an, an issue but also an opportunity that you've got these small group developments on these big development mm. sites where as a developer, I look at it and go, oh, geez, I've got to, I, can't, I don't have to buy one person now to buy five, six, seven people that are even 10 people. Uh, but that is an opportunity that when these when this crunch comes of supply mm. in this area and the prices, the opportunity for a developer to make that much money comes along, they're going to buy them all out. It is going to be a bit harder. Oh, it's going to be more expensive, but it's well, an opportunity. it used to be a lot more difficult. I mean, the old days was you could have only built five there. And maybe if the zoning allowed, you might have been built eight there. Now, if I can build 20, I can give all five a unit and money. So if I suddenly say there, there's Mrs. Mangles who doesn't want to sell, would you like a new unit in the new development plus some money? Guaranteed that they're going to jump at it. Whereas before when you're booting them out and you just wanted to develop the site and you, could own, you couldn't give anybody any units or anything, why would they? So the attraction to the developers is better, the attraction to the home buyers is better. But also in, further on to that rezoning side of things, what the City of Stirling did well was to stop the multi-dwelling in the R40 areas, but they should have only stopped it in suburban streets. So what was happening was, you know, in some of the quieter streets, a five-unit site, they've got 13 units on it, one car bay per unit, there's two cars per unit, there's 26 cars now and 13 street of them are on the packed. street. Yep. Yep. So no, don't have multi-dwelling in suburban streets, but you can have it on the major arterial routes, which is the whole, what they've done around the world for history. Because there's no option Close anyway. to train, close to shops, close to everything. So don't put a blanket ban on R40 saying no multi-units in the whole of the city of Stirling. That's just crazy so they're now trying to set up little pockets but again it's not enough if you're a mum and dad investor and you're you've got a certain amount of money in your pocket are there still opportunities in scarborough to buy 690 square meters and put a few townhouses on there or do something along that you know that median line or have they all been soaked up and we're now just looking at that more institutional investor to come in no the mum and dad investor still exists probably not to the same degree that they used to but their opportunity still exists the problem being though the home buyer will pay more than the developer so out of the last dozen sites we've sold more than half have sold to people who just wanted a house of land one of the best sites i sold a few years back the guys just built one house on a four unit site just because it's in a beautiful spot now i have a triplex site on top of the hill in westview street most of the interest is from people just wanting to build one house yeah. because you are surrounded by trick north beach that's a very rare City paradigm. It, it's becoming more and more accepted. It's becoming more and more almost realistic. 
that why wouldn't you if if you, I can buy that site there for a million instead of one point five one way or two the other way, and I can have the same view closer to the beach, bigger block, and I future proof it. If I just build the big house at the front, leave the backyard for later, I can always stick those townhouses in the back later. Mm. So yeah. it's probably the smartest place to buy. Let's get on to the uh, median house price. You spoke about it earlier before. You gave us a hint and you also gave us a hint of what you could buy with that. Mm. What is that median house price? And maybe give us some realistic numbers because I know it's quite mixed up with units and houses. With that money, yeah, if you had it in your pocket, what would you buy in Scarborough these days? For the median price, which is currently sitting at that 595, which means since 2005 that it was less than that. So that's the cheapest median price that we've had since 2005. And for that money to be able to not only buy a three-bedroom, two-bathroom townhouse, it'll get you a front character house, it'll get you a front villa. Uh, it does get you a fair bang for your buck, $600,000. Even at... 500,000 will get you a really nice three-bedroom villa in a small group of three in one of the best streets in Scarborough. If you had 600 in your pocket, what would you buy? The townhouse. The townhouse. The depreciation alone on a building that costs 375. So the villas are priced where they should be. The units are priced where they should be. The only thing that's depressed is the townhouses because of the sheer amount of them that came on the market all at once, which was also when the confidence went out of the market. The townhouse is your biggest thing to replicate it's the most expensive thing to replicate. So your bang for your buck is by far with the townhouse. Jared O'Rourke, what an insight into an ever-changing part of Perth. Very exciting going into the future. Thanks, Jared. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!